0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly name dindly dindly to... don, come on. Into sharing And so, Sharon I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Aguero. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Dr. Laura Bowen. She's the lead sports scientist at Southampton FC Woman. She's also worked as a first team sports scientist at Southampton. She's also worked at the Academy there and Aston Villa. So she's got brilliant insight here around the topic of pre season training, some tips for coaches as well as perspective from her journey and her career really excited to hear your thoughts on this please let me know at gary Kernin on instagram at gary Kernine on twitter on the subject of pre-season training we have also two new webinars on the modern soccer coach website around training exercises and video analysis for preseason, as well as a new blog on session design so plenty of video there all the content on the site is free modernsoccercoach.com we just ask that please support the sponsors and help us keep the content coming speaking of sponsors this podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Haya Heia on Haya's free team management app you can see exactly who reads information sent out and unlike whatsapp or group chats you can organize training time use a separate team calendar within the app that's easy for everyone to use meaning all important dates and time don't get lost in that buzzing group chat surprisingly Haya is actually free to use for the whole team so I'd recommend you download it now go and save yourself some time get your team better organized and all together for this coming season highly recommend you ch- trying out Haya's free team management app you can search your app store for Haya that's spelled H-E-J-A or just click the link in the show notes or go to the video here on modernsoccercoach.com Laura, thank you for joining me today. Super excited to get you on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to chat to you again.
0: The preseason theme which I know you're in the middle of it over here and we'll we'll get to that there. I suppose the first question I would have was everyone talks about preseason fitness and it's just labeled almost like traditionally as a fitness time and what what would be your biggest advice for coaches straight off the bat who want to get to this level of fitness but have only limited amount of time to do it?
1: Uh, I think probably the easiest and quickest way to do it, and everyone hates it, but this is what I would recommend anyway. Something that's high volume with interspersed with high intensity bursts. Uh, this is probably like a poison word, and most related, but dribble tracks seem to work pretty well. So you just keep them going, moving consistently, jogging around, and then they get to a station, real high-intensity work for five seconds, jog again. And I think when you build from that into something that's a little bit more high-intensity in terms of possessions and games, and then looking into moving into longer 11v11s as you move forward. But I think a way of controlling and starting off with your fitness is these dribble tracks that are horrible long volume intensity birth.
0: So short short bursts, so longer like moderate longer times of moderate work. Yeah. And then you increase the 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 intensity as you build up?
1: Yeah, so we started off in our first week with like three five minute blocks and five minutes is all long. Um using the full pitch little stations that were like I guess technical work, getting them on the ball so that they've at least got the ball at their feet or something physical. I had like a rugby tackle pad, just hitting the girls for five seconds and then move on to the next station. Just jog to the next station. As soon as you hit the station, five seconds high intensity, jog again to the next station. Um, and that pretty good fitness hit. Give them a couple of minutes rest, go again by the third one. Someone's guaranteed to be sick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well no, not there. Then whenever you're... Uh, the number one complaint with coaches is either a my team's not fit enough uh, as they come in, you realize that or b player x isn't fit enough so is that something that you just accept on day because uh, i'm assuming that you wouldn't recommend hammering it in day one and, and trying to keep that intensity going
1: no i think um so we we did their yo-yo test on day one and i think that stops it being like a, an opinion or, you know, it stops it being, I think they're unfit or you think they're unfit. It's seriously, what level are you getting to compared to the rest of the squad? You're miles behind or you're miles ahead. And then from that point on, it might be working a little bit with that player. They should be expecting to maybe do bike sessions or running sessions on their own in their own time to, or coming in early and doing a session. Um, but I think if you have something... Objective: whether it's looking at their heart rate recovery or looking at a level they can get to on a test, um, and then they know it as well as you, and it hopefully increases that expectation on them. I don't know if that
0: it's, it's a good Twitter discussion argument. At least uh, every August, every year, fitness testing. So you're saying there about the yo-yo. Um, you think that fitness testing is is fine to come in.
1: Uh, yeah I do but at the same time I'm pretty lucky to work with a group of girls that have done a decent off-season program leading into that I'm hoping that no one's coming off a six-week bender straight into a fitness test Um, but I think it totally depends on your squad and if you do a couple of weeks of uh, fitness work and training first and then go into fitness testing I think it depends on your squad but I would do it Because it gives you some objectivity and also gives you like, if you don't have a lot of time with your players, your big rock that you're going to work on with each of those players, whether it's their fitness, their strength, their speed, whatever it is.
0: What about uh, field size? You mentioned there about the splitting it up and increasing the intensity. Is that something as well that you build upon during the during the weeks so the days, uh, sizes of pitches, just the, the distances that they're covering in exercises, activities, games?
1: Yeah, so when we first started, it, it's generally um, pretty small, pretty short duration. Um, and then as time has gone on, um, we've increased both pitch size and duration. Um, but starting off pretty small, high intensity, And it could be, depending on how it looks, 30 seconds, 45 seconds of work, coming right off them, lots of rest, go again. Um, And then increasing those pitch sizes and durations as we've gone on through preseason. The girls definitely came in and, you know, like they were giving me a bit of grief. Like I've been called a lot of names the last few weeks, um, but everyone said they came back in knowing it was going to be hard. And I think there is that expectation with preseason that it is going to be hard. um, And if it's not, I think people are expecting a bit more. And even at the time, they think it's hard. You hear players all the time. You're like, oh, it was harder under that manager. It was harder under that coach. Um, So I think a bit of that, like at the end of the session, when I'm like, how hard did you find it? And like, oh, God, I think it was like a nine out of 10. But were you sick? So do you want to give me a different answer? Like, and they put on each other a little bit as well with that. So I think if the expectation is for it to be hard, it should be doesn't mean you have to go taking them hill sprints on the sand for
0: three hours do you think that because there's a lot today and especially as we get more educated as coaches on the science there's a lot more uh, awareness of overtraining and managing the loads etc do you think that there's an aspect of under training as well where you can psychologically as well as physically maybe set the wrong tone if you if you bring a group of players come in and it is too easy for a couple of weeks
1: um yeah I think there's an awareness of it I'd like to think it's an awareness and not a worry I think people are much more aware now of overtraining, but then you see like the physical demands of the game have gone up so it would be difficult to like it, it would be Odd to say that people are under training in general because the intensity and the physicality of the game is going up. um I think there is a danger of under training um, in pre-season because people do panic and it's a bit like, oh, I don't want to have the old-school mindset. Like it's about education, I think, and knowing where the limit is. And the, I think players in general want to know where the limit is. You've got to get close to it, and you've got to get there to know where it is. But at the same time, when to do it. I think so. Like I've said to the coaches, said to the players, the first two weeks of preseason were a shock block. It's supposed to be hard. You're supposed to feel tired. You're supposed to wake up feel like you've been hit by a bus. Um, after that, we'll come off you a little bit, give you time to adapt and recover for a few days, and then we're going to go again because that's what preseason is. Um, so I don't really think people are over or under training. I think people in general are more aware and are training smarter. Mm.
0: What advice? Obviously, with with that there, then, and and the uh, information improving and science growing and uh, being, I would say, I would say, from a like from someone who's no science background, I I think it's just become ingrained in us in the last couple of years. There's, they're going hand in hand. Um, a lot more coaches are getting GPS units. You can see it over here. A lot more youth clubs are getting GPS units, but then they're not having the uh, luxury or fortune to work with a qualified s or sports science person. So if I am a coach and I am in charge of a set of GPS units and I am not qualified to do I mean, how would I work through that there? like, Can you give us some tips?
1: I think GPS has definitely been overused um, and I wouldn't stress about it too much. I think really it's to see whether your awareness of how hard a session is or what you think you're getting out of a session is actually what's coming out of it. Um, some coaches are really good at like saying this is what I want out of the session it just happening and others just haven't got that feel of like what it looks like from a GPS point of view so I think use it to inform your practice use it to get a feel for what you're getting out of your drills um, but not get too hung up on it and if you have got someone that you can work with ask questions of them because it's only supposed to inform practice if you're pretty decent at it, or even if you have a good awareness of it, you should be able to explain it to anybody. Um, and if you're overcomplicating it, it really is just a sat nav. It's just supposed to give you a bit of info.
0: We've we've definitely overcomplicated it in my opinion. Like we've definitely put it down to uh, like people are almost bragging about injury rates and then using X system, or you're telling me that it's not the it's not going to solve all those issues.
1: No, I like. It's difficult for me to say, because when I was at uni, I was like, right, I'm going to be the person that worked out how to predict injury using GPS. And I think I learned that lesson pretty hard. That's just not the case. And um, I think going back to your overtraining or under-training question, the good thing about GPS is that it can tell you. Um, so you might be thinking, oh, I'm training the girls really hard, but your GPS is telling you you're not, or the other way around. And it's just giving you that feedback. And that's really what it should be used for. And in my opinion, that's it. Even now, like I'm still learning with it. I've just taken the numbers out of the report that I give to the players. So they're not chasing number. I have a target that I want them to get for the week for various metrics. And they just basically get green, amber or red. So they know whether... So then if I'm... Or, you know, if they're under target, they know why they're running at the end of the session. Mm. If they're over target, they know why I've said not today. Rather than being like, oh, did I run more than her? Or have I run more than last week? It's just... I'm on target or not and I, hopefully that should work a little bit better for their understanding of like, I don't want the centre-backs to run as far as the wing-backs. That's, that's not their game but I want them to be able to jump high. I want them to be able to be strong so get in the gym instead of running up and down the pitch.
0: Just on that, how much do you think coaches should be using that there to you're obviously using this example there of of giving that feedback to the players and saying where you want to get them is that something that you've you've always done or is that something you've just started to do
1: it's something that I've always done with the ones that are interested I've never pushed it on a squad as a whole but the ones that are interested I will explain it because you know it is something that you have to wear and if you're interested about it, you're probably curious. You're probably thinking, why are they are watching me? What what are they using this information for? So I'd rather educate and use it to get player buy-in rather than not acknowledge it. But again, I would always check with the coach. Some coaches are pretty happy for the data to go back to the players. Some are not. Um, so it's totally based on the coach. But I'd like to use it to get buy-in as long as they're educated first on it.
0: I think some of the challenge with coaching is especially at the at just outside the professional level is that yeah, they can you're not really in control of all the environment. They might go and jump in the car and you might not see them for twelve, twenty four more hours. W- what do you think is is the most harmful? Is it is it a bad diet? Is it uh sleep? Is it someone that's just not taking care of their body or like what what would you say if you could get teams to maybe focus on one thing in life what would it be? Sleep. Sleep.
1: I'd probably go sleep. Um, I, I'm not saying that's the most important, but it's probably the easiest win that would make the biggest impact. Like it's incredible for recovery. It's the cheapest recovery modality you can possibly have. Um. It's good for adaptation. It's better for sharpness and strength. And um, I just think if you can get a decent amount of sleep and a decent quality of it, with, you can do that without spending a penny and that will make the biggest difference.
0: This podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Haya. On Haya's free team management app, you can see exactly who reads information sent out. And unlike WhatsApp or group chats, you can organize training time, use a separate team calendar within the app that's easy for everyone to use, meaning all important dates and time don't get lost in that buzzing group chat. Surprisingly, Hey is actually free to use for the whole team, so I'd recommend you download it now, go and save yourself some time, get your team better organized and all together for this coming season. Highly recommend you ch- trying out Haya's free team management app. You can search your app store for H-E-J-A, that's spelled H-E-J-A, or just click the link in the show notes, or go to the video here on modernsoccercoach.com. Okay, now moving the conversation towards working alongside that head coach. So you've got a head coach that comes in and says, all right, the first meeting of the preseason, I want to play this press and expansive game. Um, and I know you've worked for for a couple of coaches that have fit that that style. What aspects of the training program? What consistencies have you seen with with someone like Pochettino that's that's bringing that in on a daily basis?
1: Um, any high pressing or aggressive like style of play that I've seen from a coach, the best thing that I've seen working in training is just short, sharp, high intensity bursts, um, and. As your players get fitter and more used to it, increasing the number of births, um, not necessarily the length, but increasing the number of births and giving lots of rest, like and the focus being that intensity within that 20 second, 30 second period, and then really coming off them, explaining coaching in that time, and then going again, and it's all that pressing and just increasing the number of times they do that. And then from a physical conditioning point of view, I, she spent so much time talking about this with a guy called Tom that I used to work with. We looked at worst case scenario uh, training. So for each player, looking at what the worst thing, the most disgusting 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds of a game is for them. And then can we replicate that in training? And can we repeat it multiple times? Can we extend the duration of it? So that when it comes to that disgusting 15-second burst in the next in the next few games, they know that they can do it and not just do it that one time, but do it again and again. And I think it's that overload of intensity that makes the difference.
0: It's fascinates me because the English game, I watch a lot of Premier League over the last 10 years and it's it seems to have gone into overdrive uh, in the last five years. And I think that might be with the club and Pep and pochettino and those guys that have really stepped on the gas what uh fascinates me is the risk that goes along with that there because at the start of the year obviously go back to our first thing you were about overtraining and stuff so how would you or how do they in your experience in your department how do you manage pushing people to the max without exposing them to too much
1: it's such a fine balance and again this probably isn't the safest answer to give but sometimes you only know that limit by breaking someone in the first place um and then you know where their limit is um it's not necessarily the best practice but when you get a new head coach you're almost always guaranteed a little spurt of new injuries that you've never seen before um and it very much is like trying to gradually increase that volume of the high intensity work over time rather than just being like this is what the end product looks like let's do that now it's okay the and the awareness that these players have never been exposed to that before it's a bit like give you I don't know if you're a runner or not but for, definitely for me if someone said go run a marathon I probably wouldn't be able to go out and run a marathon tomorrow I would have to start off with shorter runs and build up to it I think the best coaches that I've seen do it is that awareness that We've got to build this up over time. So we'll keep the intensity the same, but the volume of that will increase gradually.
0: Whenever you're different types of managers and obviously like they're different styles, but you've worked with different different cultures as well. Is there something, if, if there was a manager from Spain sure. or Germany, have you seen consistencies with their type of training philosophy or the, the physical demands that they bring every day? Have you seen any consistencies there?
1: um what between the different cultures or
0: cultures yeah i was talking to someone about this a couple of weeks ago about how much different coaches train and different because i think when all said and done an exercise looks like an exercise you know like a rondos yeah. and and everyone you globally typically does quite similar um is there a is there a big variation in the type of exercises uh from different cultures
1: um I would say probably the it's not again like you said a rondo it is sort of a rondo. It's more how the weeks are periodized is has probably been the the biggest change um between the between the coaches and between the different cultures, and then like just the duration of drills and how much the sessions are coached um we've had some head coaches where they will coach for ages and ages and ages and the physical work is really separate they just want them to like run at the end because they've just stood still being coached and then other coaches that are really keen on integrating the two um but generally i would say the periodization and the duration of those drills is what's different generally the drills don't look that different yeah. as a setup on a pitch if you were just looking at it as a picture, if, if they set up the cones and stuff at the start not that different
0: but when i talked to you the last time uh you were telling about the the detail that I think it was his staff uh, Jesus Perez that the how they how disciplined they were in the weights room, how there were consistent messages across the board of staffs working. Is is that something that you've seen as well with like assistant coaches, support staff, dietitians, aligning all the messaging together? Is that important for a for a club to to get right at the start of the year?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I've seen it both ways. I think I've seen it work really well where everyone has a consistent message and I've seen it work where perhaps the message hasn't been strong enough or understood well enough and uh, it causes quite a disparity because you're getting one message from one person and one message from another, not necessarily saying people are trying to set each other up, but it's just a misunderstanding of the the message in the first place. I think it's important And, and not just for the players, but I think for the staff as well. If everyone feels like they're working towards a common goal and everyone's important towards that goal, I think that lifts the staff and that in turn lifts the players. Um, if it's like the manager's doing one thing, the head of medical's doing something else, the assistant coach has his own plans. and um, I don't think you can drive things forward that way. I think there does have to be a consistent message from everybody.
0: So how was the lockdown with the, so much anxiety and stress? and? Just in general society, uh, games played in empty stadiums, uh, hotel trips that probably weren't as pleasant as what they were when people had lives. I mean, mean, how how did players any physical challenges with that there uh, to manage throughout the week?
1: There was, there's definitely. I think there's a difference in the way the games were played without fans. Um, The intensity didn't there weren't the spikes of intensity that you'd see when the fans are getting behind them or giving them a bit of a bad time or giving them a good time. Um, and there also wasn't, uh, from, like, just from from our data, uh, the ball was in play a little bit more. Like, there wasn't as much diving or, like, time-wasting because there's no fans to play up to. Um, and that actually made the games harder. At, like, it was generally a, a higher intensity for a longer period of time, rather than being spikes and troughs, Um so they trained a lot harder, and they found the games hard as well.
0: Oh, that's really, really interesting. So no, uh, yeah, no scraps and scuffles and all that because yeah. the crowd yeah. aren't getting in it. So they just yeah, play the there's, game.
1: There's no one to get in their heads. So
0: yeah, would well, you, uh, from an observational standpoint, did you find it was more, more coaching during that there because coaches, were without the crowd coaches could they get more information in and
1: oh yeah definitely and it was noticeable when the fans first came back in even when there was just a few fans like everyone looking around like we actually can't we can't just shout the players now again we can't they can't hear us we can't hear them and it was so different Mm. it was much easier I think for the coaches to be heard and pass messages between each other so as the fans come back in like I didn't realize how much of a difference it makes
0: Let's talk about, finish up here, we'll chat about uh, your, your current role and, and your pre-season with Southampton. So um, in terms of, I suppose, as a, as an SNC sports scientist, again, trying to build that relationship with the players, um, is there anything that you do at the start of the year that's independent from the train? Will you grab a few players for coffees? Will you sit down? Or is that kind of just informally done uh, over the season?
1: It's interesting because at the moment, our girls are part-time Mm -hmm. and so what I did was the first day that they were back I had a meeting with them all about my expectations my promises to them and then what I expect in return and which hopefully went went down pretty well but to me I don't see why they should be treated any differently than professional athletes if that's what they're there for to become that and then from that point i've had to work out everyone's work schedules when everyone people that drop their kids off at school and then at the moment just putting in individual sessions and seeing if i can go and meet them at a pitch or at a gym and spend a little bit of quality time one-on-one or two-on-one with a few players um to get their individual programs in but i'm pretty big on individualizing and building relationships especially because they all have such varied lives and varied skill sets and Strengths and weaknesses, so it's been a big learning curve for me. Yeah, not easy. No, because
0: when you're coming from the full-time environment, and it's almost sometimes the the thing is you have too much time with them, isn't it? It's almost like you want to get them to be a bit of a break. And I probably underestimated diet. It, it's got to be really hard to manage that at a semi-pro level.
1: Yeah, uh it's a lot about education again. We're tra- so actually, I have a meeting tomorrow with our nutritionist who this year for the first time she has designated time each week just with the women's and girls set up and it's about workshops and recipes and things that can help lead the way they're actually getting their skin folds done tomorrow and I think they're dreading it cause for a lot of them it's the first time they've been exposed to it but for me I think it's really important rather than talking about like oh you need to lose weight or you need to put weight on or you're fat or you're thin it's okay what is your body composition what is your lean mass what does what is a female athlete supposed to look like? And how can we help you get there? Um, And I think changing the way that it's spoken about stops there being that like insecurity around it. Um, But for the part-time girl, like we have some girls that go on nights after they've been training. Mm. How do you look after their lifestyle when they, so because they're part-time, they train six to eight at night, then they go off to their jobs and work all through the night and then it's about how can we best make sure they're getting fuel, they're getting enough sleep, um, they're still having lives. It's just it's a minefield.
0: The pictures you posted of the preseason really, really interesting. The ropes, the boxing workouts uh, looked a lot different. Is it? I was keen to ask you: Is that something that you're doing? You mentioned those the little intense, short bouts of intensity. Is that something just to to help that? Is that something like a boxing workouts working for the whole year?
1: It's interesting. It, at the moment, it's definitely because of preseason. like it's a good CV hit. Um Also, I mean, not that all athletes don't think it is, but particularly female footballers, trunk control, a bit of upper body strength um, whilst getting that CV hit at the same time. So it sort of ticks off a few boxes in one. Um, I think it, it's something that I've always done with injured players. It's something that I will put in. Intermittently throughout the season, they really like it, they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's probably not something that will be in every week because we've got three days a week with them and, and a million other things to work on as well. So it might not be a regular feature.
0: You mentioned, you mentioned the flags, flags there. there. Is that have you taken any ideas from other sports? So, like, that sounds like a very rugby type training.
1: Oh, oh my god, we had the best rugby warm up the other day, it's kind of rugby. It was sort of a netball rugby combo. Um, but so I, I have, our girls aren't very aggressive. They're lovely. They work hard. They're very professional, but they're not very aggressive. They're just nice girls. So we played, like, we play netball in the warm ups. And it's, you know, I, I do things like uh, in order to catch the ball, you have to be on one foot, just a bit of balance and proprioception. And then after 10 passes, you can just, hold the ball and run through everyone and there's no rules. you can pull hair you can nip you can drag them down and it was interesting like they went for it the physio had his eyes closed he' like'm not gonna to do this but try and get a few other sports involved I guess but especially the girls they've been uh, very football like driven most of their lives and I think it's just general skills general athletic skills. Um, but also, you can hide a lot of other things like balance and proprioception mm. into sports. So, I don't know. I I try and pull from other sports wherever I can.
0: Yeah, I always wonder when I'm uh, when I'm looking at stuff like that. Is is it because sometimes you see clubs are typically a bit more generous with sharing uh, the warm up stuff because it's not tactical setup. So they're like, and you can get a good bit of content on it. I always wonder if it's for just generally breaking the mundane nature of sometimes full-time soccer or is there a purpose beside? what you're mentioning there about like catching on one leg and stuff like that there
1: yeah I I think for like I'm trying really hard if I get 20 minutes 30 minutes max for warm-up for me that's not a warm-up it's like athletic development time whatever I can do to develop those athletes as best as I can so um whether I put it in something really structured and they know today we're doing landing mechanics or we put it in something a little bit fun, but try and mix it up because it's the same for coaching. The season's pretty long, like to have me droning on at them every day, it must get pretty boring. So I do try and mix up the sessions a little bit and sometimes hide it in something a little bit more fun.
0: Um, okay last couple for you advice you know it's a it seems to be a, a still a growing industry one of the fastest growing industries in sport uh, has been the the science side and the strength and conditioning side. what advice have you for someone who's doing it in college or about to do it in college and wants to wants to do it full-time and get the professional level
1: i would say get the balance right everyone comes out of uni and they're so keen that it's like, everyone's excited because if you want to work in sport, you're probably pretty passionate. I think get the balance right. Make sure you have a good work-life balance because I've seen so many people in this industry burn out very young, very early because they don't get that balance right. So be passionate, be keen, learn as much as you can, but also make sure you get a good balance. That would
0: be the best. How do you do that whenever – sometimes the demands of the job especially the when when you're in the physical and medical areas of soccer like it's sometimes it's calls and meetings and you're talking about going and doing an individual with a player uh how do you is is that getting away just when you have a day off is that switching the phone off What, what are some ways that people can do that
1: i think uh what i what i found works for me is Write down your to-do list, whatever the top three things are on your list, they're probably the things that you want to get done today. Anything after that is just like, I want to be keen. I want to show that I'm busy. And I think sometimes just sacking that off and giving yourself a break for not doing all those nice to haves, um, taking time whenever you can, and really taking time, switching your phone off and not feeling guilty for it. If you start answering your texts at 10 o'clock at night, People will keep sending you texts at 10 o'clock at night. Um, I think set the expectations early. Um, I just don't reply.
0: Do you know? Like, that's, what, that's my next question. What yeah. happens when you get that text? Don't reply. I just
1: don't reply. And um, I, like, I'm pretty honest with the girls now. I'll be like, I didn't reply because I was busy having a life. And they're all a bit like, okay, fair enough.
0: No.
1: <laughs> but they know now to message me in work time. And I think setting that expectation early has helped me out massively.
0: Brilliant. brilliant. Uh, and then final one in, in your experience, what what or who has, has given you the greatest piece of advice?
1: Uh, I saw this and I was thinking, oh, I've had quite a lot of good advice, but probably the one that has changed how I deliver and how I practice is um, don't spend 90% of your time on 10% of the work. That's probably the best advice I've been given. Um, If it's not going to have a big impact, if it's not going to make a difference to performance, if you're going to spend three hours trying to get a perfect jump test out of your players, and you could have spent those three hours developing them as footballers, developing them as athletes, was that jump test worth it? Probably not. Um, The same, are you going to spend Hours and hours making the prettiest GPS report ever when the coach just wants to know, did we get what we wanted to get? Did it make the boat go faster? You're probably wasting your time. So yeah, that would be it.
0: I'm going to put an extra question in there. So that report, that post-practice report, is it more of a conversation or is it still email, follow-up or how do you deliver another report from the day?
1: Um, So I send the report out Um, But I just put on it three bullet points, like, look at this player. This is what we did. This is what we should do tomorrow. And then I will follow it up the next day when we have our training meeting. Um, But the coach will just quite openly tell me she just reads the three bullet points and, and that's it. And to be honest, that's all I need her to read. I can spend my time looking at the numbers if I want to, but I just want her to get the headlines and that works for both of us.
0: Brilliant! Brilliant! Fantastic, Laura. Thank you so much for taking the staying up late after ten o'clock and taking the time with us uh, tonight. Very, very much appreciated. Uh, And best of luck with the season. And uh, we'll hopefully get you on again soon.
1: Yeah. No. Thank you for having me. And best of luck for you too. I am watching. I'm (laughs) following you on Twitter very avidly.
0: Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources. Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.